Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Body Protest. In this podcast, we combine storytelling with science to better understand how we think, feel and relate to our bodies. I'm Nadia Craddock and I'm a body image researcher. And I'm Honey Ross, writer and activist. This podcast is brought to you by The Pink Protest. Hi, body protesters. We hope you're all well. We have such a fantastic episode for you today. We are speaking with the one and only Jamie Windust. We recorded this back in February, I believe, so before the apocalypse. So bear that in mind. And if you haven't watched their TED Talk already, we recommend you watch that to complement the podcast listening. So for those of you who know Jamie from social media, um, you will be familiar with the stunning Jamie face. But we also talk about some of the complications that come with that, uh, having to perform as a non-binary person rather than just existing. We also talk about how can we actually make workplaces safe for trans and non-binary people, as well as the lack of conversation around trans representation and how it can actually be harmful when done wrong. All in all, it's a really beautiful conversation. And of course we talk a little bit about their new book. Yeah, and what's exciting about their book, because at the time we couldn't reveal the name, but one of the advantages of putting this out so much later than we recorded is that we can disclose the name of the book, which is In Their Shoes. Gorgeous, isn't it? Gorgeous. The book is available to pre-order and it's available to buy on the 21st of October. So make sure you look out for that. The cover is stunning. The book is incredible. So enjoy our conversation with Jamie. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us on The Body Protest. That's all right. Thanks for having me on this rainy Sunday. It's rainy. a rainy Sunday. I know you're an award-winning writer, activist, editor, Indeed. model. One of those. What else? Can we add to the multi-hyphenate? Yeah, annoying multi-hyphenate. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so my main kind of fingers and pies would be, uh, my day-to-day is I am a writer, public speaker and model. Um, and then I've kind of branched out recently to do a bit more consultancy and kind of curation. So I do quite a, a lot of curation of events now and kind of making sure that it's kind of like stepping up the kind of public speaking that I do. So uh-huh. instead of just being going to events and talking I like to kind of make sure that what is being said is is relevant and there's the right people there um so yeah that's my it's my day-to-day but I'm, I'm mostly I'm a writer that's what I do most of the time which is quite fun so I mean I guess we usually start with a kind of general question which is how was your relationship with your body growing up it's again it's the language thing like I always define things as weird as my um I recently started therapy and my my therapist started counting the times that I used like weird or strange when I describe either me or things and, and I've I he told me at the end of the session and he was like you used the word like 25 times and I was like oh 
So do you think <laughs> you put an otherness on yourself? Yeah, like I think I always like my body. I always would describe it as weird because it's like um, it's quite ironic because it's like as a non-binary person, I have quite a feminine body shape. Like mm. I'm quite, I have like quite a a waist, mm-hmm. and then I kind of go out. So it's kind of what's that called? Hourglass. Hourglass. Kind of. Um, Snatched. Snatched. There we go. <laughs> um, so, like, growing up, I, yeah, I always kind of felt that I had to fit a body ideal. Mm. Um, and I used to do quite a lot of dance. And we used to have to wear, like, lycra and, like, form-fitting clothing. And everyone else there was, like, ripped and six-packed. Mm-hmm. And I would never be. And I remember feeling very self-conscious about my body, even though there was nothing to feel self-conscious about. Because mm. there never, never should be. But, like, I think my surroundings made me feel... A bit subconscious. Um, but it's interesting because recently I've started going to the gym. Um, which I find really interesting to tell other people. Because I told one of my friends that I started going. And he was like, oh, I didn't realise you had issues with your body. It's ah. so interesting that that's how people think about the gym. And I was like, I didn't have issues. I was like, it, you can want to change something about your appearance without it. Without you having, like, an existential crisis about it. Also, you can want to go to the gym not to punish yourself. You can just want to go to the gym to move your body around. Like, exercise yeah. shouldn't be some kind of... Trans- it doesn't have to be some transformative thing. Yeah, and it, for, to be honest, for me, it was more of a mental thing. I was yeah, like, 100%. Yeah, yeah. It was like... I was trying to find a new outlet for, like, stress relief. Yeah. Or, like, uh, kind of, like, get more in, into a routine to kind of feel a bit better. Not because I wanted to turn into like a bodybuilder or yeah, be, or because yeah, yeah. I had some like serious issue with my body it's outrageous that people go straight to that did you find when you started using the label of non-binary did that help with any body image stuff like did you find that you kind of were like maybe I don't have to conform to such a like you know there because there isn't mm. a real clear-cut perception of how a non-binary person should exist yeah did you find that helped or did it make things more complicated in a different way? Yeah, I think that's... It definitely does help because, like you say, there, there's no... There's no one way to look non-binary. I mean, there's yeah. no one way to look any gender. But, yeah. like, with people who identify as male or mm. female, mm-hmm. or who are cis, pre- predominantly, like, or trans, but there's a very kind of obvious... Yeah. Like socially conformed and accepted body image that they should look like, whereas yeah. with non-binary people, there isn't. Mm. However, I think that doesn't still mean that you can't be affected. Be affected. To be honest, sometimes, like when I remember when I started going to the gym and I could see my body changing, I was like, okay, this is really interesting. I was like, am I? Do I feel like I look like a ripped? I mean, I'm not ripped, just for the record. But, uh, <laughs> I like, mean, why tell us? Like, yeah. <laughs> extend that disbelief. Um, I was like, is my body changing to look more like someone who's male that's going to the gym? Or mm. do I look like I have a theme? Like, in my head, I was like, what body standard am I holding myself right, to here? yeah. It was kind of both. I was like, you know, like, traditional aspects of, like, when when female bodies go to the gym, they have, like, a washboard stomach and, like... Yeah toned like, areas yeah like like a bum from doing squats and yeah. that kind of thing and then if you're a man you're kind of going to build up muscle like exactly you yeah. that like v-shape you want that that v yeah the dorito <laughs> um i remember thinking that like, god i actually think i like i'm picking like bits of both 
that I'm seeing change and I was like in a good way or a bad way like was did you find that more toxic being like I'm now trying to confine myself to (laughs) you know beauty ideals for yeah like double double the amount of pressure um yeah and it was quite it's it was was really interesting because I was like like people's reaction I know it shouldn't count but it does always count is people's reaction always found it they have found it funny um that I was going to the gym which I always thought was a bit rude um, it's really rude. Like, I, and I think it's because like, I present femme, and I think what people were confused about is that if I were to go to the gym, I could potentially come out looking fairly conventionally masculine. Right. And they were like, what? And I was like, well, that doesn't, doesn't change anything. No. Like, if I suddenly got, like, huge arms, I can still do whatever I fancy. I just would have massive arms. Right, yeah. you can still present <laughs> femme and, ha- like, you can, and have a, yeah. a different shaped body. Right? Yeah. Like, um... So yeah, there's a lot of, to be honest, it's it's very confusing to kind of think of a, an, a beauty ideal that, or a body a body ideal that I'm non-binary as me as a non-binary person I'm looking at and yeah, being like, uh-huh. what am I? I'm just trying to get a bit healthier and feel a bit like mentally and physically yeah. a bit better. I mean, to be honest, I think going to the gym, the only thing I really have ever gained from it is, like, a clear head. Like, you know, like, getting past the fact of, like, going to the gym to try and change something that only gave me body dysmorphia. Mm. Whereas going just for myself, you know, it's like meditation. It's like, you know, proper self-care. I wonder if we can kind of go back a little bit and you were kind of saying, did you always know that you were non-binary and how that played out for you? I think I did always know, however, I didn't have the language. Uh So it was kind of like... Um, during kind of puberty and that school time, I always yeah. knew that I wasn't cisgendered, but I didn't like at the time. Like yeah. I, looking back, I can say that, but at the time, I had mm. no idea. Yeah, because I I didn't have the language, but I just knew that I was kind of not anywhere. I was just kind of like floating in the middle. Yeah, but I didn't know where that was at that point, and I think having then kind of gone on to learn the language and the education and mm-hmm. kind of actually finding more about it. That was when I moved to university. I was mm. like, oh, God, there's so many bits and bobs here that actually really present themselves to me as something that I fit into. Yeah. They're just, I feel like growing up, you, the narratives you heard around transness were very similar and it was usually kind of very much... I don't know, I think it was just a very narrow perception. It was a Channel 4 documentary. It was Mm. never something that was a widely accepted thing. And were there any things where you saw that growing up and you went, oh, maybe that's me, maybe that's my situation? Yeah, there was definitely times, like, it was very, like, um, casual and almost, like, jovial instances where, like, on the telly there'd be someone who, again, because the the language wasn't there, but they would be, like, male presenting. Mm but would be, like, very femme. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it would almost be, like... I think when I was growing up, those types of people that were on telly or in, in the media mm. were kind of just seen as very camp, flamboyant... Yes. ...gay men. Um, but I always resonated with that. I think growing up, I just always resonated and just presumed that I was just this, like, very camp, flamboyant gay man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I remember always thinking, like looking at, like, red carpet events or the Oscars mm. and thinking, like, why could I not wear, like, a ball gown? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then actually, like, because I did, at the time, I didn't have the awareness or the, the knowledge. I was just kind of at a point where I was like, oh, I guess I can't. Mm. 
when actually that's like not the case at all. I just didn't really know. I didn't know the history of it. You know, like like we said, non-binary identities have existed for centuries, but the yeah. conversation around transness, especially in like the Western media, yeah. is so like binary that like we just weren't given that opportunity. I think yeah. to to be seen. Um, and there's a lot of factors that come into that, you know, but... Well, also, we're just not taught any queer history at school, really. Mm, no, not You know, all. there's a huge chunk of history around trans people that has been destroyed. And we have so, you know, like you said, it's existed for centuries and people just don't have the information and the conversation's yeah. only just really beginning. Mm. Um, how old were you when you started to experiment with makeup? I remember I was like 16 because I was going to prom and my mum was like, why are you wearing talc on your face? <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's makeup. Um, so I was like 16 and then I started working um, in a department store um, on the menswear section and then realised that there was the beauty hall, which oh was my like God. my mecca at that point. Yeah. It was iconic. Um, and then... Um, moved over there mm. at like 17 so I was still at sixth form and just kind of like a part-time job and that's when I really started to get into it um and then when I moved to university at 18 I was exploring it a lot more and having fun with it and then that's mm. kind of when the Jamie face mm-hmm. came around yeah. um which people people what makes me laugh about that is people get so philosophical about it <laughs> and they get so like they just want to know why and they have so many questions and I'm like I always just say and it winds them up and I like it I'm just they're like why and I'm like because I can yeah because there's literally no one telling me I mean there are a lot of people telling me yeah. I can't but realistically there's no one like forcing my hand away from putting all of that makeup on my face no it's <laughs> yeah. like a very joyful expression I yeah. mean I remember once before we um before I ever met you, I mean, I only met you today properly, but I've been aware of you for a long time. Um, I once saw you walking in Soho with the classic Jamie face on, and I was like, wow, oh, it's really cheered me up. Like, you just, looked, you just looked radiant and so yourself. And I was like, that's really special. Like, oh. that's really... There's something about someone who celebrates makeup in the way that you do, which I think is so rare and so special, because it is truly what makeup is about, is just the core of expression and mm. being playful and your face is this blank canvas, and it's like, well, why wouldn't I? Yeah, exactly. Like that's why, that's why I loved it so much, and I still love it. It's my relationship with it has changed quite a lot in the past, mm. like six months, purely because it's like I still appreciate that joy of it. But mm-hmm. what I found was that like the public perception to that, mm. and the way that that was impacting just like on my literal day to day life was was get, was getting way too much. Um, so I've stripped it back kind of in a protective way for myself. Mm. It's a bit sad because it I like you know, no one should ever be fearful to 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 play with makeup and, and have that, you know, like the joy that we said about, but sometimes you've just gotta do what you think mm. is right for you in that moment. Well also yeah. I think you in a way have become such a figurehead for this movement and I feel like you shouldn't have to put yourself in danger just to make other people feel good. Yeah. And I think, you know, taking a step back and pulling the makeup back, that was for your safety and your happiness. And, like, mm. you don't owe that to anyone else. Yeah, and it took me quite a while 
like this is very recent but it took me quite a while to realize that because mm. i i did a shoot a couple of weeks ago and i went in like non-jamie makeup but just kind of like a subtle beat yeah so yeah like a casual beat <laughs> um and they were literally like i got there and they were like oh that's were they expecting the full jamie yeah they're expecting the full shebang and they were just like obviously disappointed and i was like well it's really it is really weird like I'm not going to name names, but I've got a couple of thing, shoots coming that, like, they've specifically asked for the Jamie Bean. Mm-hmm. And because I am my own best devil's advocate, I'm always, like, overanalyzing everything. So I'm just like, isn't that funny that they've, like, specifically requested the Jamie Bean? I'm like, How why. does that make you feel? A bit weird. Like, does it make you feel like a commodity? More and more recently, a lot of the the kind of shoots that I do are more tied into the work that I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of campaign-led with a message. However, so, like, when I'm asked to be Jamie Jamie for that, I find that a bit odd. Mm. But then on the flip side, if it's, like, a fashion thing or an editorial thing or, like, if it's makeup-focused and they've asked me to come with the Jamie face, I quite like that. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, like, th- that's the point of the shoot. It's, like, expressive, It's it's editorial, it's, like wild and that's fine but when you get like people that want it like you can you, i just know when people want it because they know it's gonna be clickbait essentially yeah um so that's really bizarre but yeah but i think the the point about your your safety and i know you spoke about it on the ted talk and you've written about it and mm. kind of like what it meant and why you you stopped doing the Jamie Faith in public and whatever, yeah. I think it's really important because I think it, I don't know, we can look at it on social media or whatever and like, and appreciate the expression and the artistry and, and the joy of it mm. to look at, but, and then you lose sight of how that might play out in someone's real yeah. life and what, and I think that's part of a, being in a liberal bubble and, yeah, and like understanding that. So I think just the appreciation of you writing and sharing and talking about, actually, you know, this has, consequences or can because we still live in a world where some people are awful yeah and what what i find really interesting is i i still get now quite a lot of criticism about a year ago i did um a crowdfunder for like taxi transport Mm -hmm. um, like private transport because i just like physically couldn't get yeah public transport for kind of like like my mental health was really low and I was just like it was just constantly like a barrage of yeah. mm-hmm. invasion essentially because like literally every single tube journey I'd have the person opposite me trying to like take a picture or really? just like yapping at me about yeah. like why have you you know um, and what I found really interesting is that f- even from within my own community and from outside I had a lot of criticism for, for asking for essentially allyship for the mm, private transport yeah. because people saw the makeup as something that is removable. Right. So they were like, if it's causing you this much grief, just don't put it on. And what I found interesting there is like, like we said, it's a tool for joy, but it's also intrinsically tied into my gender expression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to just kind of be like, don't do that. For me, it was really difficult. I've learned to do it now because I, my safety is more important. Yeah. However, it's still... Like, I still feel... I, I'm, always, I'm always grieving for that. Yeah. I, still, mm-hmm. I do feel very sad that I just don't feel able to do that. 
at the moment. Do you think? Yeah, I was going to say. Do you think that this is? Do you think that this is a permanent change, or do you think that Jamie Face will come back? Um, I think it's it's really it's it's so hard to know. Yeah, and it's like it's common. It's almost like morphed now because I've, I it's taken a new life. So like I've got stuff coming up in in this month that I know that is important and I, and people like have have asked me to come as like yeah the Jamie mm-hmm. um which is really weird so I will like bring again weird to say but I'll bring the face out mm-hmm. um and so the relationship with it has almost moved into like a perform I was gonna say it almost it does sound like and what I find frustrating about the situation on your behalf is it seems like people are very happy to make you you know turn up perform be this kind of like queer icon and then the minute you're actually asking for allyship and help they're like well hang on like you know we only like you when you're happy and performing and you know being our little dancing monkey and then they're like that is such a problem we have nowadays with so many kind of uh instagram influencers in the sense that like people forget that there's a real person on the other end of that and it's like Mm -hmm. you know you enjoy us you consume us you you know you take and you take and you take and Mm. then when we ask for something back you don't give yeah like even even very small things like when i've I've done shoots before i've done events where it's very late night finishes and i'll just be like can i get private transport home and i'll just be like no sorry we don't don't have the like the money for it and i'm just kind of like left there like we just had like a really amazing inclusive chat and now you're mm. yeah like the irony of me literally going on and doing kind of discussions where i talk about like street harassment and then once the doors close at midnight they're like right see ya yeah like, good luck yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. On you go. yeah because it's i mean i think people are so unwilling to accept the the true prejudice towards queer people and towards mm. non-binary people and just I mean, and I think we've got to a point where it's like it's a it's an appealing aesthetic. It's something that yeah. like, we want represented because it's it's new, it's quirky, it's edgy, it's cool. Mm. It's, I feel mm. it's very on trend in 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 many ways. But yeah, it's that kind of follow through to like actually what's the reality. It, just as you're saying, like, oh yeah, we have this inclusive chat, but then we close the door at midnight, and then it's like on you go, good luck. Yeah, yeah. I think that's... it's like it, and as well, what I find really interesting is the way that non-binary identities are being consumed, is it still very much um, femme, like non-binary mm, femme people yeah, yeah. are being consumed because the media, it's kind of like misogyny, like mm. they love femininity, like femininity is, is something that a lot of people like to consume because they like to look at it and it's a visually, mm-hmm. can be visually appealing. Whereas, you know, non-binary people who are AFAB, so like assigned female at birth, a lot of non-binary people like that are not showcased in the same way or platformed in the same Mm. way. Or people who are non-binary but present masculine, they're not given that same platform because for some reason it's not appealing. And what what I struggle with at the moment is this kind of sellable, marketable nature of transness. Yeah. That it's just become it's becoming too vapid people people are just only caring because you know like we said i'm going to turn up with the jamie face and they're going to get exposure or they're going to get clicks from it and i'm i kind of i'm getting frustrated with it 
because in some ways you you want the representation because I think like, there's something about being seen. I think that's not just about um, queer and trans ide- identity. It's about like you know seeing people of color. It's seeing yeah. people of different sizes. You you want the representation because mm. you want to feel seen and understood in in the world. But then it's that fine line of like if it's just done as a commodity if it's just co-opted if yeah. it's just done as and then it's like how do you follow through and and you mentioned at the beginning that you do like consultancy is that with brands on yeah because like on that follow through like don't get me wrong i think representation is really important and the work that i do like the when i say social work i don't mean like traditional like social, yeah, yeah, yeah. social work i mean like instagrammy work yeah um i've realized that it's that i remember when i started doing it i was really torn about it and i just didn't really know what to do I've now realised it's fine. Mm-hmm. As long as you're not working with, like, the army or someone <laughs> annoying, um, it's fine. Um, and ca- almost more for my sake, but also for the people that work with me's sake, I wanted to elevate the conversation. Mm-hmm. Because I was, I was getting job satisfaction out of it, but I was also like, this brand activism thing isn't as revolutionary as people think it is it's not yeah. changing the world and what it does is it pedestals that type of activism as the only and most important type when actually that's not the case at all um so what i did kind of for job satisfaction and to feel like i was actually doing something was i often started to offer consultancy mm. um behind the scenes with the brands that i work with to actually make their internal systems change them change as people outside of work um, and I won't say name names, but mm. it's very interesting as to who says yes to that and who says no. Mm, right. I get a lot of people being like, we don't want that. That's I don't need that. On the surface, like, look, we're so woke, we're so great, we're doing all of this amazing activism. And then when you're like, yeah, but can we change the infrastructure? They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa yeah. absolutely not. And then especially, very interesting. they get even more stressed when you then ask to be paid to do that. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, yeah. And they're like, what are you on about? What changes have you found people are more receptive to in terms of your consultancy? Like, what have you? What are things that you would pitch to try and make a brand more inclusive? One of the big things that I try and do to kind of start off with is to look at workplace environments mm-hmm. because a lot of trans people are in the workplace mm-hmm. and a lot of harassment that they face often with people who work in traditional work environments is in the workplace so I try and start off with kind of making sure that your workplace is is trans inclusive Mm -hmm. um even if there are no out trans people working there it means that if trans people do want to work there that they know it's a safe environment yeah and then I kind of branch it out into looking at language I think language is really important and it's something Mm -hmm. that's not hard to change and I really like kind of analyzing the ways that brands use language Mm. because often it's not done out of um prejudice but it's done out of business sense yeah they want to kind of split their off like for example in fashion I've been during my degree I did fashion business and we spent so long kind of looking at the ways in which why products are actually split into gender because it makes more money however taking that away is actually going to bring such a bigger base of people to your brand in like quite a crude sense that's quite businessy but like it just makes everything more freeing well the thing is if you're trying to appeal to a business of course you're going to have to look at it through a business lens so i think it's more than fair to say 
you would be opening up a market that has been previously untapped if you make things trans inclusive non-binary inclusive yeah yeah so would it be about getting rid of the like any binary labels so like the women's section and the men's section is that kind of what yeah because there's uh, for example there's an amazing store in new york called the fluid project uh-huh. um which is just a shop with clothes in and yeah. you just you just turn up yeah yeah there's the sizes are I, they don't use like small medium large they use I think they, I don't remember what they use. I think it might be numbers still, but it's, it, it's in a way to promote that the clothes are literally for anyone if you uh-huh. want to wear them. Um, then again, because I'm so annoyingly self-analytical, I do get quite frustrated that a lot of the conversations I'm having about identity and transness are for businesses, yeah. which are essentially to make them money. Right. Um, which is why now I'm trying to kind of move away from, not move away, but really just focus on uplifting kind of the grassroots people that are Mm. are trying to do the work on the ground that's actually going to save lives rather than helping a global business make more money. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, although I think there is a bit of a bind there because I think they have so much power and I think in terms of like being able to change conversation I think businesses can change conversation Mm. because they are a global entity so they can, if they decide they want to, I think they can influence some change I don't think all change but I think they they do yeah. have the capacity to make waves more than governments do sometimes yeah. I think if they if they decide that it's in their interest to do it they they can but you have to then navigate and negotiate with yourself that are you happy for them to make money as a consequence of that yeah. and I think well, I'd rather them do it and if they're making money from it then good because then they're there's a chance that they're going to continue to yeah. to do that and do something that I want them to do. Yeah. Also, I guess in the way of, and I often feel this and I wonder if you do, but in the sense of, I always think, well, if I had seen someone like me doing the things that I'm doing now as a child or a teenager, it would have changed everything. And I think, mm. do you feel that kind of pressure to be working with brands mm. and be this public face? Because you're like, well, if someone who is in the same position you were then... You know, if they saw you, that might change their life. Yeah, that's right. yeah, exactly. Because like, like I said, when I was when I was younger, I, there was there was no one. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's one of the benefits actually of of working with these people. Like you mm-hmm. say, they have such a platform that often it does. Even if it's just visual representation, that can sometimes mm-hmm. be enough for people to feel more comfortable in themselves and feel like that they actually can be themselves and in, in the long term. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely. I think. I think. So that's what I think that's one of the biggest things I forget actually with the work that I do mm. is that representation is important it's not everything yeah. and representation I always say is like step one yeah, a lot yeah. of people stop after they get representation and often what I found especially with like the TED talk yeah is they were brilliant at realizing that visual representation is actually dangerous for trans people mm-hmm. or minorities so they put in a lot of work to make sure that, yes, I was visually represented and mm. the community was. However, there are also lots of negatives that come with that, like being on such a high platform yeah. as someone that can easily be targeted. And a lot of people don't realise that when it comes to visual representation, Yeah, which is kind of why I have a, a tricky relationship with yeah. that. Is that like trolling, like people like sending like yeah. nasty messages and stuff? And, and it's because like the, the anti-trans climate in the UK is so malicious yeah that you know these people will really 
find out where your next event is they'll, they'll track you down you know it's very intense yeah so a lot of the time people don't understand that you know by plastering a trans person on a campaign you're putting them in danger yeah definitely um so yeah is that a conversation you wish people were having more yeah i think definitely i think you know people who are trans or or, or marginalized groups we're outspoken because we've always had to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think what what's happening is people are, some people are listening now. Some people are actually being like, okay, we can't just use these people for our game. Like these people are actually human beings who are going to potentially suffer from what we're doing. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if you're going to work with someone and they don't understand that, then you just step yeah. away. You shouldn't be able to step away. Yeah. So what did Ted do that particularly well about navigating that and negotiating that with you? I think it was just the the amount of contact time that we had. Like it was uh-huh. the, like a three, four month process oh, really? of curation and bonding essentially. And leading up to the release of the video, mm. we just had loads of, loads of conversations about, you know, they were so open and honest and kind of aware that I knew more than they did on what could happen. Mm-hmm. So they just sat back and were like, right, what do we need to be prepared, pre- potentially prepared for? What could happen? And, you know, they just made sure that whatever I said could happen mm-hmm. and what could what they could do to help that, they did. Right. Which, to be honest, was quite rare. I was quite surprised that they were just, like, willing to be like, what do you want? And yeah. I was like, oh, brilliant. <laughs> like, wow, I didn't know it could be this yeah, easy. Yeah. yeah. Um... And, for example, we worked with media partners on TED. Yeah. And they were really supportive in in saying what I needed without me having to say it to them. Because sometimes I can feel a bit, I don't know, not stressed, but like on edge kind of having to explain myself all the time. So they were very much like, they knew the emotional labour of what that could entail. So they did it. So it's just, they're just a very switched on. That's really wonderful lovely group of to hear. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, so rare. So rare. Completely, and I think that's where it's like where you're saying like representation first. Then you there's all of these other pieces. Yeah. To to fit um, to make it actually genuinely inclusive. Mm. Um, well, we've touched on language quite a bit, but I wonder if we can get more into the nuances. Yeah, yeah. Of it, and so we've got like gender identity and gender expression, and so you identify as non-binary, but you. It, expressive femme right like it's yeah that... yes there's, there's a massive difference of like gender identity and gender mm-hmm. expression i think mm-hmm. that's yeah. one massive thing that a lot of people um either aren't aware of or don't understand the difference because mm-hmm. like for example it's not just for non-binary people like everybody has a gender expression yeah mm-hmm. take for example like some gay cis men their gender identity is cis yeah male but they can often have a gender expression that is very femme. Yeah. It doesn't negate their identity. Yeah. Mm. It just means that that's how they're choosing to express it. For example, when um, non-binary people choose to present their gender expression in a very, uh, air quotes, binary way, mm-hmm. mm. it doesn't mean they're not non-binary. It yeah. just means that's how they're presenting. Yeah. Um, and that, I think that's something that's really important when you have non-binary people who their gender expression is quite conventionally binary. Mm-hmm. Like, 
predominantly with non-binary people that present masculine. I know quite a lot of people who, they wouldn't mind me saying that, like, if you were to walk past them on the street, you would just think it's a cis man. Yeah. But they're non-binary. And those are the groups of people that I think actually struggle the most. Right. Often is... This, like we said earlier, this this whole non-binary thing often kind of gets packaged up into a look. Yeah. And it's like white, like androgynous, femme, quite like mm. wild. Whereas actually, there's so many ways to look non-binary that it can almost manipulate and alienate the conversation around mm-hmm. it, which is really frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because the way we started was kind of going, you know, do you think there's a certain pressure to look a certain way as a non-binary person? And actually, I guess there kind of is, which mm. is, you know, you have to do this kind of outlandish fashion and all of these things. And it's like, actually, you know, it's so fluid. And it's just, like you said, it's how you're presenting that day. It's yeah. so varied. Um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting, especially because you have carved out so many different looks for yourself and so many different places to be. And Mm. I don't know, it seems strange that we have such a narrow perception of it. Yeah, and I kind of have to... I have to really think about that a lot of the time. Is... I know it's not not on me and it's not Mm. my fault that often people will hire me as a non-binary person and I could be the only non-binary person. So therefore by elimination I am often sometimes seen as the way mm. or the way that is p- mm-hmm. non-binary people um, are palatable mm. commercially however I think what's important is that I use my voice to ensure that these conversations that we're having now and like the kind of conversation around non-binary visual mm-hmm. expression is shared so that there is no one way to look at which is why you know, me coming here today and just like a casual beat compared to the Jamie face yeah. doesn't actually change my identity in any way. Mm-hmm. Of course. Which some people don't know how to wrap their head around. Yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. Um, I feel like you spend a lot of time dealing with people's bullshit, uh, <laughs> which is exhausting and draining and I just have nothing but empathy for you in that situation what are the things that you do to protect your energy to look after yourself what is your self-care like and real self-care not even just like a face mask like you know (laughs) the the boring shit um my biggest one is just saying no yeah Mm -hmm. like it's saying no and not apologizing I'm a massive I used to be a massive people pleaser Mm. um how did you learn not to be from like just like last year is my first year of working for myself like this is I'm now in my second year and I what I realized last year was I just had so many burnouts yeah I had so many just like crashes that I just didn't know how to deal with but I thought at the time that that's just what everyone had and I was like this is must be what it's like to be busy and working fine yeah um, and then I realised, actually, no, you can say no to going to that shit party. Yeah. Down the it road. takes Ooh. those burnouts to learn boundaries. Like, yeah. you need to have those horrible experiences yeah. where you're like, oh my God, why am I, like, dead inside? And yeah. you're like, oh, because I've gone to one too many corporate events and I need to stop. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like... Also realising, like, in the least savage way, like, who I need in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, what I found was when I started implementing these boundaries for myself, I suddenly got this reputation for being rude or a bitch or uh boring 
Um, so what I then actually quite nicely found is it almost filtered the people <laughs> that don't actually care about my well-being in a way yeah you know i'd rather be called a bitch and be well rested than like <laughs> Correct. you know yeah. i don't like yeah i think one of the biggest issues we have as a society is the fact that everybody feels the need to be liked by everyone it's like yeah you know what it really doesn't matter it's like you need to look out for yourself number one like you need yeah. to especially like the stuff that we all do like it's it's so intense yeah you know we need to have that downtime you know what i've what i find really interesting is like if I do, like, panels or something, like, I, I did a panel last year where it was literally, like, so uh, emotionally intense. And then mm. straight after people, I was, like, they just don't understand boundaries. They're just, like, mm. continuing your, to have the conversation. Yeah, faith, like, yeah. Up, like, taking photos or just, like, uh, just in, it's invading your space. And yeah. it's, like, I've just sat on stage probably not being paid to talk about, like, my trauma mm. to open up your minds in a way and even after ted so after ted there was an interval and we got taken into the lobby for like a a meet and greet Mm -hmm. and even then you know ted was so emotional and i just had people come up to me saying i loved your talk i loved your outfit but like i don't really understand oh my god and it's it's not the time and i think i'm getting like worked up because i think it's like People want you to do that diversity inclusion, be angry, activate on something or like mm. advocate for something and um, be forceful and and share all of this stuff, but then actually and then to then come back and be like, Oh, too angry, ooh, too yeah. uncomfortable. Like that well, it's is like the, that fun, I, I find that. The really commodification of vulnerability yeah. is fully what it is. It's like, you know, we want you to be vulnerable, but then like, oh, but not too real. Like, yeah. then, like you know, like, the minute it's, it's actually like, hang on, can you leave me alone? Can you give me some space? They're like, Whoa, 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 that's a little yeah. bit too uh, honest. Yeah, it's, it's like it's but uh, it's vulnerability and it's also being like, Oh yeah, tell us what we're doing wrong, tell us how we can be better, how we you know, give us all the instructions, but do it in such a palatable way. Yeah. Do it in such a like way that then yeah. it's like okay for us and then we're going to pick and choose what we're going to take anyway so do then we the can... emotional labour to skirt around our yeah. egos but you know it's, it's just it's like I did um I wrote something recently about like cis fragility mm-hmm. because after Ted yeah. what I realised is people's reaction to what I said isn't on me it's because they are being challenged yeah it's like with white people with race like yeah. it's that go to to be defensive yeah we are like well I'm not a bad person it's like well not, maybe not knowingly, but yeah, like yeah, yeah. You, everyone has things that they need to learn or unlearn. Yeah, and it doesn't make you an awful person. Well, it's like when people think the word privilege is uh, privilege is an insult, and it's yeah. like no, everyone has privilege. It's just about assessing your level of privilege and admitting it, and exactly. you know, staying vigilant. It's like I've had this really bizarre person on my Instagram all week, just like commenting on everything, saying, "I'm cis, so you don't care about me." I I'm love cis, that. so I don't matter. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no. get out of the fire. Just like all cis <laughs> yeah. people like cis people have made yeah. it so they're the only thing that mattered for hundreds and hundreds of years. You exactly. know what I mean? It's like, oh come on, like we've had our time. Like it's... Yeah, but, but and you get that on like every intersect, right? So you get that on the, the white people calling people white people it becomes Yeah, yeah you call me a white person. It's <laughs> yeah. like but you are. I literally are. Um yeah. I, I just I don't know, I just have no idea how to deal with that. It's just completely baffling. But it's like, it's like it's like not even your job to. But then, no. what makes it so frustrating? It's put on you mm. Mm. to solve or reconcile that, or go home and then be like, oh, I've just had all yeah. of this like 
put on me and now what do I do with it and and I think people don't necessarily understand the implications that has so mm. kind of like coming off the TED talk which even if you're talking about I don't know tea for something very neutral doing something as big as that oh yeah it's gonna be like you'll have all the adrenaline you'll be like yeah. pumped I was, up I was like... actually like a bit crushed because uh, it's like like I said it's like a three four months like process I've never had to learn something like that off script before mm. like you know it's so, you have so it's many huge. rehearsals it's like it's huge it, you you kind of go through it with like this family of people like all the other speakers you get so close oh, to them all yeah and to do something like that and then literally half an hour later to be challenged mm. on what you're said because people can't wrap their head around how other people might need help was baffling to me. I was actually yeah, really yeah. upset. <laughs> I was yeah, like, no, I was like, like understandably. Yeah, because it's like they just had no consideration for the amount of work that yeah. has got into it. They just thought you rocked up. Exactly. It's so insulting. Yeah, but, and it's like, and it's work, and it's like, it's like the actual work. So even if you're talking about tea to like build up to like prepare that, yeah. and then it's like, then because it's it is identity, it is personal, that it's the emotional work as well. It's- I just got to a point where so like the first person that asked me, I was just like quite nice. Yeah. Mm. And then like by the last person, I just ended up literally saying I shouldn't have to tell you how to be a good person. Yeah, and read a book. Left. Yeah. <laughs> good read for you. Because I'm just like, don't ruin this day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, also, so, it's just like, it's like, it's not your job to convince people to be empathetic. No. That's their own problem. Like, you know, it's it's really sad that as a society, we basically have forgotten what empathy is and have yeah. no understanding and yeah. also think it's oh, other people's yeah. job to educate us on things we don't understand mm-hmm. it's like no it's your own job to educate yourself yeah, yeah. Uh, though on books rumor has it there might Terrifying, be yes. a book on the way oh my god yeah. can we talk about that i'm actually after this i have to go and i've just got it back from the copy editor <gasps> oh it's that i didn't realize it was that far along so yeah. exciting like a baby it's um it's like all the tiny lips so i've done like all the big edits but it's like all the tiny little like grammar edits which is really actually quite boring what's Um, the title can we know or is it top secret i think it's a secret it's a secret can we have the premise of the book yeah um so it's a i'm one of those really annoying 22 year olds who's doing a a part memoir i was about to say that's iconic (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it's kind of part memoir no it's not i they they were very actually they're very adamant on not using the word memoir but i'm it kind of is um yeah so it's kind of how to navigate being trans or non-binary uh, now, but for kind of like quite a millennial audience, because a lot of conversation at the moment is either for like very young people, mm-hmm. which is absolutely mm-hmm. fine, or it's quite academic. Yeah. Right. And what I've tried to do, what I've tried to do is make it funny, but also very real. Because uh-huh. I'm quite dry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say. Um like, I've got some outrageous stories, and it's kind of for everyone. Obviously, it's uh-huh. got non-binary and trans-specific information, but I think a lot of a lot of that information is universal. And well, also, it's an amazing thing to just, like, send someone the Amazon link and be like, if they're being, like, bothering yeah. you, you can be like, here, read my book. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, read Buy my Literally book. read a book. <laughs> Give me commission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Um, TED Talk, then book. When's the book out? So the book is out in October. Uh-huh. Oh, heaven. Um, they are designing the cover as we speak, I think. Okay. I guess on that lovely positive note, we should probably um, wrap up, wrap but up. I could talk to you all day. Um, <laughs> Jamie, where can we find you? 
So mm. I am... On the internet lot. On, on the internet lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we don't want to send people your way. <laughs> um, so both Instagram and Twitter is Jamie underscore Windust. And your book will be out in October. October, there we go. Um, and we can link to the TED Talk. And we will link to the TED Talk. Thank you, um, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. That's all right. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Body Protest Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. It would mean the world to us if you could subscribe, rate and review. You can follow Honey on Instagram at HoneyKinney. And you can follow Nadia at Nadia.Craddock. This podcast is edited by the angels at Project Harness, Daisy and Rasheen. And brought to you by the Pink Protest Podcast Network.